Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. I'm Jeremy Heiner. And I'm Sass Elisha. All right, so today we're going to talk about some updated guidelines that have been released from the American Society of Anesthesiologists, and they are focused on neuromuscular blocking agents, and specifically the recovery from neuromuscular blockade. I'm sure the listeners are weak in their knees just waiting to hear this brand new information. Oh, the suspense is just probably killing everyone. And I'm sure that everyone is looking for another podcast right now. But hey, stick with us. We're going to get, we're going to turn these out very quickly. And we know your time's important. So take some deep breaths and pre yourself because it's go time. It is go time. We know CRNAs are busy with limited time. That's why we want to bring you clinical updates and reviews that are pertinent to your anesthesia practice. This is Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. Together, Jeremy and Sass have a combined 40 years of teaching anesthesia students and CRNAs. They speak nationally and at state associations and also continue to practice anesthesia in the operating room. Jeremy and Sass author and edit several anesthesia textbooks, including Nurse Anesthesia, the core anesthesia textbook used in the CRNA profession. All right, so these updated guidelines were released in uh, 2023, so this year, January, and this is a report by a task force that focus, focused on practice guide, updating practice guidelines for the monitoring and antagonism of neuromuscular blockade. And, you know, wouldn't you know, this is still a problem. Now, they said it's 29 pages long. Yeah, yeah, no, we snoozed through this bad boy. 29 pages. And with 10 pages of references. All right, yeah, so look, that's 10 pages of references. That is an enormous amount of references. So they did wade through a lot of research. So the guidelines were created primarily for three reasons. They were to decrease residual neuromuscular blockade and specifically a train of four less than 0.9. And we are going to talk about that. Actually, to be honest, we didn't know what that meant either. So we had to look it up. So, so we'll pass on that information to you. Second reason was to address the appropriate type and site of neuromuscular monitoring. And then lastly, to identify the use and dosing of different antagonist drugs, depending on the depth of neuromuscular blockade. All right, so let's establish a little bit of background just to review in terms of neuromuscular blocking agents. 
So we use these quite frequently in anesthesia uh, in order to manage the airway, to improve surgical conditions, and even in some cases to ensure immobility during critical points of an operation. Now, problems can occur when using neuromuscular blocking agents when inadequate recovery occurs. So this is known as residual paralysis. And there are a number of different adverse outcomes that can happen with residual paralysis, such as upper airway obstructions, reintubation, atelectasis, pneumonia, prolonged stay in the PACU, and even decreased patient satisfaction. Now, the introduction of Sugamidex has clearly reduced the incidence of residual neuromuscular blockade uh, when you compare it to neostigmine. However, there is still a problem of residual neuromuscular blockade, and that's why this task force has updated these guidelines. Hey, Sharon, we've got some exciting news to share with people today, don't we? Yes, we do. And why don't you let the cat out of the bag, Jeremy? <laughs> wow, I don't usually put cats in bags. Is that kind of a deep-seated <laughs> thing with you or what? You know. Uh, well, you know, some of our listeners know we've been doing live podcasts around the country at different state association meetings, A&A events, and so forth. And May 4th through the 7th, we're actually going to be at the Pennsylvania State Meeting. Sharon, you've been there a lot and spoken a lot there. Um, at the Hotel Hershey. Um, yes. Yeah, and I've never been to the Hotel Hershey. So I'm kind oh of my gosh, you are that. in for a treat. When you check in, they ask you milk or dark because you get chocolate when you check in. Mm, wow. It's it's really cool. So, listeners, if you want to go to a great meeting, Pennsylvania puts on a great meeting. We'll be doing the live podcast taping there and. They're going to be having a party there, too. And guess who the DJ is? Uh, let me think. Does his last name end with Pierce? Yes, it does. DJ so Pierce come will and be join in the house. <laughs> Can't leave the house without him anymore, you know? That's right. So join us in, in Pennsylvania at the Hotel Hershey, May 4th through the 7th, and come to a great meeting. All right, so a little bit more on background. Let's talk about the train of four ratio. Sass, talk to us a little bit about the background and what that means. Yeah, so in the modern era of neuromuscular blockade assessment, and it began in 1970 with the introduction of the train of four. Everybody knows the train of four. So it involves the delivery of four brief electrical pulses to a peripheral nerve at least two hertz and assessing the twitches the number of twitches, and the quality of twitches that actually occur. Yeah, we all do this in the OR with our nerve stimulator, and it has the TOF on that. Yeah, and so with increased paralysis or greater degree of receptor blockade, sequential twitches in the train of four decreases in amplitude with the progression of the disappearance of the fourth twitch, then the third then the second, and then finally the first. I wanted to go over some information that I had actually forgotten. So if you have zero over four, so no twitches in the train of four, it is theorized that 100% of the receptors are blocked. One over four twitches, 95% of the receptors are blocked. 
2 over 4, 85% of the receptors are blocked, and 3 over 4, 65 to 75% of the receptors are blocked. And I always thought that as people start to regain 2 and 3, they have much less of, a, of, of the number or percentage of receptors blocked. So I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah, and it's important to also point out that this is for non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agents. That's when we will see this type of fade. Depolarizing muscle relaxants, the all the twitches are the same. They just may all the twitches may decrease in height at the same time. So when we're talking about percentages, that is fade and that is non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agents. All right, now with that background, let's get into the recommendations of this article. And there are eight total. Now, when you look at this article, you'll see the recommendations that are right on the second page of the article. And it will have a column that says recommendation and then one column that says strength of recommendation and another column strength of the evidence. Now, in virtually all of the column of strength of evidence, it says moderate, which I found was really interesting, SAS, especially because they've got 10 pages of references. And just to have these recommendations be moderate from the evidence, I don't know, that seems, that seems kind of interesting to me. And the strength of recommendation is the strength or belief of the experts that reviewed the evidence. Yeah, so think uh, expert opinion. There you go. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. All right, so let's start with the recommendations. What's the first one? When neuromuscular blocking agents are administered, we recommend against clinical assessment alone to avoid residual neuromuscular blockade due to the insensitivity of the assessment. The re recommendation here is strong and the evidence is moderate. And, you know, I can kind of understand that, you know, when we t teach students about what should someone be pulling in terms of a title volume before we extubate them, let's be honest, no one ever breathes 10 to 15 milliliters per kilo um, spontaneously breathing on an endotracheal tube. So I can kind of see how the even though it's supposed to be objective, how people can use their own subjectivity and cloud their judgment. So I kind of get that one. Absolutely. And they're basically saying here, use a nerve stimulator. <laughs> yes, they are. Okay. All right. Our, the recommendation number two is uh, recommending using a quantitative monitoring over qualitative assessment to avoid residual neuromuscular blockade. Again, this is kind of going along with recommendation number one. So using a nerve stimulator, not just looking to see if the patient can lift their head up off the table, but actually getting some time of 
to some type of quantitative assessment, such as a train of four ratio. All right, here's number three. When using quantitative monitoring, such as a train of four, we recommend confirming a train of four ratio greater than or equal to 0.9 before extubation. So this is the one okay, that, yeah. <laughs> this is the one that we need to look oh. up because it was like, huh? Okay, yeah. So and you smarty pants will already know this, but just to review, neuro non-depolarizing muscle relaxants at a train of four ratio of 0.9 means that the fourth twitch is at least 90% of the amplitude or the strength of the first twitch. So if we're just palpating this, odds are the twitches are pretty much just all going to feel the same. So if, if you've got all four twitches pretty much feeling the same, you're good to go. Yeah, and it would be really, really difficult to be able to feel such a small decrease in the fourth twitch and be able to assess that. But at least that is their recommendation. And that their recommendation is strong and the evidence is moderate here. And just to confirm this point, this is after reversal and before extubation. We need to have good return of neuromuscular strength. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Okay, four and five kind of go together and the recommendation is strong, the evidence is moderate. So we recommend using the adductor pollicis, and that's, the, that's on the forearm muscle for neuromuscular blocking monitoring. And in the same light, we recommend against using the eye muscles or orbicularis oculi for neuromuscular monitoring. And the reason for that is, is because they've always said the abductor pollicis, certainly a larger muscle, is more reflective of diaphragmatic paralysis as compared to the abicularis oculi or the eye muscle, which is more reflective of paralysis of the vocal cords. So that makes sense. That does make sense. Okay. So uh, now recommendation number six, um, the task force is recommending Sugamidex over the use of neostigmine at deep moderate, and shallow depths of neuromuscular blockade induced by rocuronium or vecuronium to avoid residual neuromuscular blockade. And so let's define what deep and what moderate and shallow depths mean. Deep is a post-attenic count greater than or equal to one and a train of four count of zero. Moderate um, the moderate depth of neuromuscular blockade is a train of four count of one to three and shallow neuromuscular blockade would be a train of four count of four. Hey, Jeremy, I have a question for you. So in terms of number six, it says Sugamidex for deep, moderate and shallow depths of neuromuscular blockade. Doesn't that just kind of mean Sugamidex always, unless there's a contraindication? Isn't that what that means? That's pretty much exactly what that's saying. So if you've got Sugamidex, use it. So 
Seven and eight are recommendations where we would not use Sugamidex. So, Sass, why don't you tell us about recommendation number seven? Yeah, and both of the recommendations are conditional with the evidence being low on both seven and eight. So, we said number seven, we suggest neostigmine as a reasonable alternative to Sugamidex at minimal depths of neuromuscular blockade. So that's basically when you've given neuromuscular blockade and you there is no signs that there's any residual neuromuscular blockade. Okay, so recommendation number eight is when you use atricurium or cisatricurium. So we would not want to use Sugamidex to reverse either of those. That is not one of the uses of Sugamidex. So instead, the task force, task force recommends antagonizing those neuromuscular blocking agents with neostigmine. However, they want you to antagonize it or administer neostigmine at minimal neuromuscular blockade depth. Now, they don't define what minimal means. They define what shallow means, and that's a train of four count of four. So we're left to kind of assume what minimal means, and that could mean three or four. But basically, there should be some train of four that's available. And here's the kicker. They also recommend that at least 10 minutes should elapse from the antagonism using neostigmine before extubation. And that does it for the updated guide 2023 guidelines for the reversal of neuromuscular blockade. <laughs> we hope we didn't put you to sleep. We know this wasn't the sexiest topic, but very clinically important. We thank you so much for being here. And if you like what we are doing with the podcast and you can suggest this to your friends or even write a review, we would appreciate it. It allows us to improve our offerings as we move forward. Okay, CRNA Nation. Thanks for hanging with us for this episode. Remember, keep ventilating, provide adequate neuromuscular blockade reversal, and we will catch you on the next episode. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. 
Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Jeremy and Sass expressly disclaim any liability in connection with the use of this presentation or its contents by any third party.